1: Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the RIOCAN Real Estate Investment Trust third quarter 2020 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After management's presentation, there will be a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. I would now like to hand the conference call over to Jennifer Zeus, Senior Vice President and General Counsel. You may begin.
2: Thank you, and good morning, everyone. I am Jennifer Suits, Senior Vice President, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary for RIOCAN. Before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the presentation materials that we will refer to in today's call, which were posted together with the MD&A and financials on RIOCAN's website earlier this morning. Before turning the call over to Jonathan, I am required to read the following cautionary statement. In talking about our financial and operating performance, and in responding to your questions, We may make forward-looking statements, including statements concerning RIOCAN's objectives, its strategies to achieve those objectives, as well as statements with respect to management's beliefs, plans, estimates, and intentions, and similar statements concerning anticipated future events, results, circumstances, performance, or expectations that are not historical facts. These statements are based on our current estimates and assumptions and are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual results to differ materially from the conclusions in these forward-looking statements. In discussing our financial and operating performance and in responding to your questions, we will also be referencing certain financial measures that are not generally accepted accounting principal measures, GAP under IFRS. These measures do not have any standardized definition prescribed by IFRS and are therefore unlikely to be comparable to similar measures presented by other reporting issuers. Non-GAAP measures should not be considered as alternatives to net earnings or comparable metrics determined in accordance with IFRS as indicators of RIOCAN's performance, liquidity, cash flows, and profitability. Real Management uses these measures to aid in assessing the Trust's underlying core performance and provides these additional measures so that investors may do the same. Additional information on the material risks that could impact our actual results and the estimates and assumptions we applied in making these forward-looking statements together with details on our use of non-GAAP financial measures can be found in the financial statements for the period ended September 30th, 2020, and management's discussion and analysis related thereto, as applicable, together with RIOCAM's most recent annual information form that are all available on our website and at www.cedar.com.
3: Thank you, Jennifer, and uh, thank you to everyone for joining us today. And in just a moment, I'm gonna provide you with an update on our, our third quarter operating metrics, but before I do, I just wanna express my appreciation. It's an appreciation for the confidence demonstrated by Ed, our board, and the Rio Can team in my ability to take Rio Can into a new era as CEO. Now, I'm passionate about this business. The past few months have presented a lot of new challenges which have really only highlighted the important role that, that physical spaces are gonna play in our lives and the role that RIOCAN plays as a leader in the Canadian real estate landscape. Now, there's volatility in our industry, that's undeniable, but that's what creates openings for true innovation and transformation. Continuing to help RIOCAN to achieve our vision in partnership with the best team in the business, that's a great opportunity, and I honestly, I can't wait to dive in. And I want to thank Ed once again, because you know he's a real estate legend, and I'm fortunate that following the transition, I'll continue to benefit from his mentorship, his advisement, and his friendship as he assumes the role of non-executive chairman. Now we're gonna have a seamless phase transition over the next five months, and this is gonna ensure a steady continuity of RioCan's business strategy and vision. Ed and I are gonna be fully embedded in our new roles by April 1st of 2021. Now let's focus on our earnings and provide some important context on what we're doing in both the immediate and long-term to protect and grow this business and why we continue to be confident in spite of the market volatility. Now I know rent collection is again on top of everyone's mind so let me dive right into it. For the quarter, cash collected and SECRA proceeds collectively represent 93.4% of billed rent. So far in the fourth quarter, the positive trend in rent collection continues with 91.9% of October's rent collected and of course, There's no further SECRA assistance built into that number. While we clearly prefer to report 100% collection, as we've been able to do during the first 26 years of our operation, we're pleased by the steady upward collection trajectory we've driven since April. We're also pleased to have upheld our position as a responsible Canadian industry leader throughout this crisis. We've balanced our tenants' needs with the well-being of our unit holders. From the start, we understood the need to provide immediate relief and protect smaller independent tenants. when SECRA launched, we actively participated on behalf of approximately 1,800 qualifying tenant locations in the second quarter. Although CMHC policy dictated that all tenants were eligible in the second quarter, that all tenants that were eligible in the second quarter would automatically be eligible in the third quarter, RIOCAN established its own more rigorous criteria. As such, in the third quarter, we actively participated on behalf of approximately 950 tenants. So, over that six month SECRA period, RioCan abated approximately $14.2 million in gross rents. But, in exchange for our participation, RioCan and the industry, well, we're going to benefit from the long term survival and sustainability of these businesses. We view our participation as both good business practice and the right thing to do. So SECRA officially expired at the end of the third quarter. The federal government has since unveiled its new commercial rent relief program. It's called the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, or the unfortunate acronym of CERS. Um, and you know, we're still awaiting more details regarding this program, but what we do know is that it will provide direct support on a sliding scale for businesses that have, been, that have seen a revenue drop. The good news is, that it will operate independent of landlord contribution or administration. So we view SERS as a positive initiative. It's gonna provide much needed short-term relief for a lot of very good businesses. Relief programs such as SECRA and SURS are valuable. However, the industry is still facing the most challenging conditions in our history. The bottom line is the same as I discussed last quarter. Every dollar matters to us. We're using our resources, our energy in a thoughtful, strategic approach to maximize rent collection. To the extent we need to make concessions, we continue to negotiate lease amendments with tenants that will benefit the trust over the long term. Now we're keenly focused on the health of retail and the impact of closures on RioCam. There have been a lot of CCAA filings since March. However, as I'm sure you're aware, CCAA filings allow companies to restructure it doesn't necessarily mean that the locations will close. Often the restructured businesses emerge leaner and more resilient. And it's important to note the relative impact of these filings on RioCan. Of all the retailers that have filed for CCAA protection, confirmed closures represent only 0.9% of RioCan's total revenue, and most are predictably, uh, predictably from the apparel sector. Now, I'm not downplaying the very real struggles within the industry. But I do want to emphasize that to date, the relative impact on RioCan's revenue is far less than what one might believe in light of the ongoing negative retail narrative. RioCan is aided by the stability and diversity of our rental revenue. But let me explain. 78% of RioCan's rental revenue is derived from tenants that we deem to be either strong or stable, even in this current environment. Now, we collected 96.7% of the rent from these tenants in the third quarter. These categories are comprised primarily of grocery, pharmacy, liquor, essential services, and value retailers that have strong covenants and have demonstrated resilience in very volatile economic cycles. Our strong foundation of strong necessity-based tenants with excellent covenants has been invaluable through the pandemic as they deliver stable revenue and long-term value. And the strength and the stability of this core allows our team to focus on the much smaller proportion of tenants within our portfolio that are potentially vulnerable in these current conditions. Now, not surprisingly, this category is comprised primarily of apparel, some personal services, gyms, sit-down restaurants, and movie theaters. Now, although we anticipate the majority of tenants in this category will return to stability after this pandemic, as always, we continue to strategically evolve our portfolio. For instance, when the apparel segment started showing signs of weakness 10 years ago, RioCan Can initiated a significant reduction of our exposure in this category. It now represents only 7.4 percent of our annualized rental revenue, and we're going to continue to, to reduce this number further over time. There are more restructurings and failures to come, there's no doubt about that. This pandemic has created an environment where there's potential vulnerability in unexpected sectors such as restaurants and gyms. However, 90% of the tenants that uh, that we've identified as potentially vulnerable, well, they're in well-located major markets and, and Rio Can's major market properties are really always in demand. We've got the strongest leasing team in Canadian real estate. We've got a highly adaptable portfolio. We're gonna continue to lean into these attributes to rebalance and mitigate the exposure to these vulnerable categories. We're gonna use our well-located space to tap into evolving trends. Even in the midst of this pandemic, RioCan's leasing team negotiated an impressive 63 deals representing 368,000 square feet of new leases in the third quarter. This is actually more new leasing than we did in the same quarter last year and the rents we achieved were well above our average rent per square foot across our portfolio. We're signing deals with the kind of resilient tenants with strong covenants that, that really are emblematic of our overall portfolio. And our third quarter renewals also speak to the strength of our locations. In spite of the unprecedented disruption in the market, Rio Can signed 145 renewals, totaling nearly 950,000 square feet in the third quarter. This translated into a retention ratio of 88.4%, very much in line with our historic pre-pandemic results. And the blended new leasing and renewal spread for the quarter was a healthy 5.5%. Our renewal and new leasing spreads demonstrate there is still healthy upside between our average portfolio and market rents. We ended the quarter with 96% committed occupancy. That's a respectable number at any time, but even more impressive in this existing environment. Our Q3 same property NOI growth was negative 9.1 so not really growth but negative 9.1 but stronger than it was the previous quarter however as anticipated it really was impacted by the short-term influence of COVID-19. So now moving over to Rio Can Living which is our residential portfolio. In the face of COVID-19 the collection of over 99% of our third quarter residential rent is really a testament to the desirability of Rio Can Living's offering. Overall, leasing velocity continues to to progress well at our rental residential properties, including Brio, which is our 163 unit property in Calgary and our first development with partner Boardwalk Reed. We started leasing units at Brio at the beginning of April and in spite of launching at the height of the pandemic in the hard hit Calgary market, Brio is already 53% leased at just shy of pro forma rents. Rio Can Living will continue to add high quality rental residences to our portfolio over the next few years. In addition to the combined 850 plus units at East Central, Frontier, and Brio, Rio Can Living has more than 4,500 additional purpose-built rental residential units that are either currently under construction or they're gonna be starting by 2022 at the latest. And Pivot, which is our 361 unit building at the intersection of Yonge and Shepherd in Toronto, commence leasing in late October with occupancy expected for December of this year. Now, Pivot, in our mind, perfectly represents the Rio Can Living offering. It's directly adjacent to our newly renovated Young Shepherd Center, and it's on intersecting subway lines, which still matters. We're confident that whatever the short-term impact of COVID-19, Pivot and our other Rio Can Living offerings will thrive in the long term. We've also got 2,900 condo and townhouse units either completed or to be underway by 2022 at the latest. This includes 11YV in Toronto's Yorkville neighborhood, which is now firmly under construction and it's 99% pre-sold. Last, Can Windfields, which is our mixed-use development in Oshawa, it's progressing extremely well. UC Towers, which is a 503-unit high-rise portion of the site is 95% pre-sold and UC Uptown's, the 153-unit low-rise component, it's effectively pre-sold. The first phase of retail at the site, excluding two undeveloped pads, is nearly 93% leased to strong, necessity-based tenants such as Sobeys, Freshco, and others. Now this is pretty good in the face of the prevailing belief that there's no need for new physical retail locations. <laughs> Collectively, these projects add much needed high quality residential inventory into some very tight Canadian markets. In addition, they provide us, Rio Can and its unit holders, with additional revenue diversification. While we don't rely on the income generated from these condo and townhouse projects, it will provide a bridge to supplement our core FFO, particularly during this pandemic. RIOCAN's intensification program will continue to unlock the significant value that's that's inherent in our existing assets. This program adds substantial net asset value and diversifies our sources of cash flow. It's as relevant now, in fact, potentially even more relevant than it was pre-COVID-19. Now our focus has obviously been on managing our business and tapping into growth opportunities to drive resilient, sustainable value, but it's also important to highlight that our commitment to sustainable growth hasn't diminished. We published our second sustainability report in September. Our achievements since last year include achieving the highest GRESB public disclosure score, which is an A rating, and improving our GRESB survey score by almost 29% over last year. That makes three consecutive years of improvement and we've also included environmental and social competencies in our board skills matrix and we've incorporated ESG specific goals in our employee performance review process. Now we know that embedding sustainability in all aspects of our business improves the value of our assets and our organization as a whole. It will continue to be an ongoing focus of ours. We're now well into the second wave of this pandemic. It's clear that recovery will take time. The balance of 2020 will certainly bring ongoing challenges in our sector. We will continue to explore the variety of new and relevant commercial uses that have increased in their viability throughout this pandemic. This includes micro fulfillment, community care centers, and alternative retail uses. There are many other examples of innovative uses to which our portfolio lends itself, and we're we're carefully considering each and every one of them. We're long-term thinkers and we will proceed responsibly, but quickly, to make sound decisions to drive sustainable growth and, as always, create value. For 26 years, your team here at RioCan has demonstrated its ability to diversify our tenant mix and tap into evolving growth trends. We've done so to drive resilient, sustainable unit holder value. We continue to see proof that our adaptable major market properties are always in demand. We're gonna continue to repurpose, always moving towards evolving needs. We're gonna rapidly reshape our tenant base to focus more than ever on resilience. We've got the team, the locations, and certainly the balance sheet, and we also have the drive, expertise, and relationships to weather this storm. As always, RioCan will adapt, and we will thrive, and I will now turn it over to Chi Tang, our CFO, for some more information.
4: Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. I would like to start by congratulating both Jonathan and Ed on their new roles, effective next April. Uh, The entire RealCan team is rallying behind John. It's a great pleasure working with him, and I'm confident that he's going to do a great job leading the team as our next CEO. Congratulations, John. Ed built RealCan from the ground up and is the driving force behind our successes. I have learned a lot from him, over the four years I've been with RIOCAN, I look forward to continuing to learn from him in his capacity as our chairman. Ed, thank you very much for your leadership and mentorship. As Jonathan outlined, RIOCAN has delivered strong performance for the third quarter within a very challenging environment due to the pandemic. We saw positive brand collection trends, continued momentum in leasing activity, and maintain a high occupancy rate. For the quarter, we reported FFO per unit of $0.41, a $0.06 or 17.2% improvement over Q2. During challenging times, such as we find ourselves amid a global pandemic, liquidity is of paramount importance. As at the end of the third quarter, RIO can continue to maintain ample liquidity of over 800 million in the form of cash and cash equivalents, and undrawn, committed, revolving lines of credit and other credit facilities. In addition, our unencumbered assets stood at 8.7 billion, generating 57% of our annualized NOI and providing 221% coverage for our unsecured debt. Our debt to adjust the EBITDA matrix was 9.13 times, and debt to total access was 44.8%. These two matrix increased from Q2, driven by the impact of the pandemic, on property operations, and valuation for the past two quarters. This is particularly notable for debt to adjust the EBITDA Considering it is a 12-month trailing measure, we maintain our long-term goal of keeping our leverage and adjusted debt-to-EBITDA within the target range of 42% or lower and under 8 times, respectively. However, we expect these two metrics to increase marginally in the near term, given the impact of the pandemic on a 12-month trailing basis. Our cost of debt continued to decline with a weighted average effective interest of only 3.25%, which compared to 3.44% as of the year end and 3.29% last quarter end. With respect to capital recycling, during the quarter, we sold a 50% non-managing interest in our mixed-use residential development at Dufferin Plaza in Toronto at approximately $115 per square feet of the zone density. Our new partner, MapleLand, is an affiliate of a large real estate conglomerate based in UAE. This is MapleLand's first entry into the Canadian real estate market and a testament to the attractiveness of our assets, not only to Canadian investments, but also internationally. Also in the quarter, we sold to Killam apartment Reach a 50% co-ownership interest in Luma at approximately $45 per square foot of zone density, plus reimbursement of development costs. This is our third partnership with Killam. Luma is the first phase of the redevelopment of Rio Kent's Onville Acres Shopping Centre in Ottawa. We have already started construction on the project which spends a discrete portion of the center that has no existing income. These two transactions, combined with two small deals, generated a total gross sales process of about 55 million, including development cost reimbursement, and 11 million inventory gains for the third quarter. We announced yesterday firm agreement to sell a 50% non-managing interest in the residential rental component, E-Central, and the com- commercial component of our E-Place mixed-use property at Young Eglinton to Woborn on behalf of itself and one of its pension fund clients for $150.8 million in line with our IFRS value. This valuation represents capitalization rates of 3.5% and 4.5% for the residential and retail components, respectively, based on stabilized NOI, we also agreed to sell to Woodbourne a 50% non-managing interest in our Rhythm residential rental development for 5.4 million at $51 per square foot of zone density, plus reimbursement of pre-closing development and construction costs, with some exceptions. Rhythm is the first phase of a multi-phase, mixed-use development on a discrete portion of our Westgate shopping center in central Ottawa. Importantly, our assets with prominent, high-growth locations, attractive demographics, and superior transit, transit access have drawn interest and commitment from reputable partners here in Canada and abroad. These partnerships attractive deal pricing, and the ongoing momentum of our residential projects during the current global pandemic reflect the demand for well-located, high-quality residential assets, as well as our established development expertise and the significant value creation opportunities that RIOCAN's pipeline offers. We will continue our strategy to monetize the value inherent in our portfolio and development pipeline and reduce the amount and cost of capital required to build out our urban mixed-use development. As of yesterday, including the e and reason firm deals I noted earlier, we have firm or conditional deals to sell assets for growth proceeds of about 276 million. These assets are mostly located in the major markets. The disposition consists of 227.6 million of income-producing properties and about 49 million of development properties. These income-producing properties have a weighted average in-place capitalization rate of 3.6% based on firm or conditional deal prices, and development properties uh, do not have a material in place, NOI, of course. We remain committed to our development program and unlocking the significant value inherent in our portfolio. Our development projects are nearly all mixed use developments within Canada's six major markets and will provide meaningful value creation when complete. On slide 18 of our conference call presentation, we highlight the benefit of our development program. One is asset diversification. As we diversify our portfolio into mixed use residential. Another is NOI and FFO creation with enhanced lever development yield. Assuming our 42% leverage target, development yield is further enhanced by the low CMG, CMHC financing rate for mixed use residential assets. And then there is the benefit of accelerated net assets growth. Given low cap rates of, for residential assets, intensifying our existing properties with the residential assets provides significant NOI growth compared to that of equivalent commercial development. Assuming a residential development with 5.5% yield and capitalization of 3.5%, it could generate over 55% NAP growth over cost compared to about 10% nav growth over cost with the commercial development assuming the same development yield but a higher capitalization rate of 5%. Currently, retail accounts for about 90.2% of the trust's annualized rental revenue, followed by office at 8.1% and residential at 1.7%. As more real care living residential rental buildings currently underway are completed and stabilized, the residential proportion of the trust portfolio will grow, and the mixed-use nature and net assets of the trust will expand. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to our CEO, Ed, for his closing remarks.
5: Uh, thank you, Chi. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jennifer. And uh, good morning, everyone. So. Here we are almost eight months into a pandemic, the likes of which the world has actually not seen really in just over 100 years. I think the results we released this morning and the presentations by Jonathan and Chi confirm the resilience of RECAN's property portfolio and our uh, people. Notwithstanding that the pandemic is causing greater difficulties for our tenants, and accordingly us, than we expected as recently as a couple of months ago. Not only are our results holding up well, but our progress in filling the holes that are created by bankruptcies and our tenants simply disappearing is extremely encouraging. We exist right now in what I've taken to calling an upside down world, as a result of the pandemic cloud that we are all living under. Rent collection, rather than ability to grow FFO and net asset value, has become the most important metric by which REITs seem to be judged. The formerly irreplaceable, and for REITs in Canada virtually unobtainable, downtown office towers and fortress malls have suddenly become properties that customers and tenants don't even want to go to. Urban retail is hurting, while suburban, comparably, is performing very well. And even that always thought to be bulletproof sector, multi-residential rental apartments, is being questioned due to a number of factors, not the least of which are government intervention by way of rent freezes and eviction prohibitions, and these from largely conservative provincial governments. And unfortunately, I could go on in showing you that everything that was accepted wisdom in the real estate business only eight months ago has been turned on its head even in the face of record low interest rates and massive government spending. The sole exception to this seems to be the market for new condominium developments and, even more so, single family homes and townhomes. Perhaps that is one sector that is actually reacting the way it should in the current interest rate environment, where just yesterday the Bank of Canada promised us low interest rates well into 2023. And yet, REACAN is getting through this upside down world even better than I would have thought. In the spring of this year, I warned that occupancy could go as low as 94% by year end. In fact, as Jonathan has told you, it stood at 96% as of September 30th, and we don't foresee much, if any, deterioration in that metric by year end. Happily, we're leasing space up almost as fast as it disappears, as the tenants disappear. Unfortunately, No one anymore believes that saying goodbye to 2020 will mark the end of the pandemic or its effects on our business, but it will end. I hope earlier in 2021 rather than later, but this is out of our control. All we can do is ensure that no matter how long it lasts, our liquidity remains robust, which it is and will be, and that our amazing team keeps finding new uses and tenancies for the space that inevitably will become available. Based on their performance in their last quarter, and for the last 26 years, quite frankly, I have no doubt they will. And when the world rights itself sometime next year, RIA will continue and resume its growth in ways we are already working on. Of this I am certain. And those who choose to invest in what is our ridiculously undervalued units will be rewarded, and I believe rewarded very well. Finally, I have addressed well over 100 quarterly conference calls, but this is my penultimate call. You only have to put up with me one more time at our year-end call, which I believe is currently scheduled for February 11, 2021. While I will leave for then, any stories, thoughts on the future, and lessons learned, I will tell you now that I have complete confidence in the existing team soon to be led by Jonathan Gitlin. I believe they have a portfolio that not only produces great cash flow, but is so rife with opportunities for growth in income and value that it will keep them profitably engaged for at least the next couple of decades. Thank you for dialing in, and we are now happy to take whatever questions you have for us.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star, then the one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. It will just be one moment for our questions. Our first question comes from the line of Sam Demiani from TV Securities. Your line is open
6: thanks and good morning, everyone. Uh, maybe just to start off on um on the transaction market. it's encouraging to see the pipeline of dispositions in progress at this time um obviously the e central and uh and some other development properties form the bulk of it. Can you comment on the the market for more traditional you know stabilized retail properties um how, how is that uh, shaping up and do you see the ability for RioCan to to cycle out of some of those assets to, to raise capital uh, in the in the quarters ahead.
5: Sure, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, you know what? We're actually not looking to sell um, our traditional as- assets, uh, traditional retail assets, uh, in any um, you know really uh, um, big move, big way. It's a very slow market in any event for those because. I think there's just so much uncertainty as to what, uh, quite frankly, not only next year but the future of retail. Uh, the, you know the narrative out there is so negative uh, about the future of retail, which we don't agree with that narrative, obviously. And I think our numbers are showing how incorrect that narrative is. Uh, that it's it's um, it's a bit of a you know bad way to raise capital. Uh, instead, uh, we're going to continue with what we we've been doing. Which is taking in partners um, in a lot of our uh, uh, development assets, where we've created tremendous value that's quite simply not even on our balance sheet. And when we do sell them, we give up either very little, if any, income, uh, or sell them at a tremendously low cap rate, uh, like East Central. And I think we're going to be focused on that rather than traditional assets. But, and in, in any event, the market. For traditional assets right now is so slow as to be almost non-existent.
6: I see. Um, second question uh, is just on the um, the tenant uh, mix that you disclosed this quarter between you know strong, stable, and potentially vulnerable. With you know just just over twenty percent in the in the potentially vulnerable. Um, like how how are the rent collections in there? You know, going forward, you've got anything around 85% in the quarter, but, uh, you know, given the restrictions that have been imposed by, by governments in recent weeks, uh, you know, how, how should we think about that in the next uh, couple of quarters?
5: Well, you know, a couple of quarters is a long time, Sam. I mean, we've seen how, <laughs> uh, how uh, we've been going through this world. Uh, uh, as we came through, I'll call it August, and even into September, uh, I think we all thought the world was uh, in a pretty good place. Uh, As you can see from our our collections and even into October, uh, you know, our rent collections in October were, uh, uh, considering what's going on, quite excellent. Um, You know, again, we always strive for 100%, but, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe we'll get back there again next year. But then in October, we had this 28 day or shutdown, which has been extended in Quebec. Luckily, uh, we are, you know, our exposure to Quebec is fairly small uh, in the overall scheme of things. Uh, but even here in uh, Toronto and Ottawa, which are, you know, really our two biggest individual markets by far, um, uh, especially when you include, uh, you know, the, the larger GTA and Peel, you know, suddenly there was this 28-day lockdown, and uh, you know, there's only so long that uh, tenants can go uh, without uh, revenue uh, before they start wanting to talk to their landlord. Um, You know, I think uh, this quarter, uh, depending on how long, it all depends on how long the lockdown uh, lasts. Uh, Premier Ford uh, keeps talking about good news coming today. We'll see what that is. I think a lot of the tenants are are pushing back against these, quite frankly, in my opinion, arbitrary lockdowns. All the tenants, by the way, that have been locked down are in that vulnerable category. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would expect that none of them are disappearing in the next quarter or two. Uh, certainly I say that with quite quite confidently when it comes to tenants like uh, Cineplex like uh, good life uh, and uh, You know I, I was talking yesterday to the uh, CEO of uh, of Cineplex and uh, you know uh, There's been a lot of publicity about the Jim's uh, pushing back, but he's pushing back too. you know perhaps not as publicly. He doesn't have a bunch of members uh, that can uh, send uh, letters for him uh, but as far as he knows there hasn't been one case that's been traced to a movie uh, exhibit, uh, a movie theater. Uh, so, again, you know, arbitrary things happen. I understand government has to react, uh, but even uh, Mayor Tory, uh, who I think has, has until fairly recently been a, you know, a fan of stay home, lock everything down again, uh, I'm probably overstating what he's saying, but even he understands that you're destroying society. Uh, not just business, but society, when you don't have um, places for people to go where they can just get out of their apartments or their homes and be entertained and feel a little bit of normalcy, whether that's a gym, a restaurant, or a theater. And that those things, uh, even when it comes to mental health, uh, perform a great uh, great service. So I've given you a very long answer uh, to a short question comes to numbers I'll let Jonathan
3: answer but well, no, I can add one more um one more approach, which is we also don't know at this point the extent and the nature of the new governmental assistance program serves, and I do think that that will assist a, you know a fair bit of these these potentially vulnerable tenants so until we have that sense uh it's also hard to predict what the overall impact will be
6: uh, That's great thank you I'll turn it back uh but before I do so, I'll just congratulate uh, you Ed and you Jonathan. all the best.
3: Thanks. Thanks
1: so much, Sam. Our next question comes from the line of Tal Woolley from National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
7: Hi. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, follow up on uh, the discussion around uh, eCentral and eCondo. Um, you know, I was thinking last night you when the press release came out, I was like, okay, this is a great demonstration of, A, what the company can do, the values, uh, that you can achieve when you uh, you know look to sell some of these uh, projects, but at the same time, I kind of wondered it's like okay, you took a lot of time, development risk, financing risk, and then you're you're selling uh, you know a portion of the project. And so, can you maybe talk to me about why this particular project, um, and maybe just a bit about the run up into the decision to sell the fifty percent interest in this, because you were you're sort of already getting to stabilization.
5: Well, you know the. Uh... You know and I'll let Jonathan add uh, of course what, what he would like keep in mind until just over a year ago we only ever owned 50% and and basically our strategy uh, if you look at almost all of our residential assets is to be a 50% owner uh, and that uh, that originally started out quite frankly as a way for us to learn the business where the original partners we took in were people who were already in the multi-res business, because you know, actually operating things may may not be uh, rocket science, but designing them, uh, figuring out what amenities you want to put in, how they actually operate on a day-to-day basis, um, and and to to keep them leased at the highest possible rents, you know, that's something we have to learn. Lately, what we've switched to doing is bringing in more. Uh, what i call monetary passive partners capital partners and um, you know that that's that's a program that if we want to raise capital to keep building new ones is something that's quite frankly essential because you know we're laser focused on our balance sheet <coughs> we think that the the quality of our balance sheet the very objective sorry subjective objective i had it right the first time way in which we do our IFRS valuations, uh, the measurements we take, uh, we really think that uh, within our sector we have just a fantastic balance sheet, and this
3: is one way of keeping it that way,
5: and uh, one way that that's, uh, uh, you know, fits in with our
3: overall strategy. Yeah, and Tal, I think that's a pretty fulsome answer. I don't have much to add to it other than it also is just a testament to our ability to um, to manage these properties. I mean, we oversee, we'll asset manage this asset and we're also, you know, at the uh, Rhythm property out at Westgate in Ottawa, we will be the manager of that development. So I think there's been um, a, a recognition that we've got a great skill set within RIOCAN. And for us and our ability to really capitalize on that expertise, I think is a good thing for our unit holders. Uh, so I think you will see, as Ed suggested, more and more examples of us being development manager or asset manager to these assets, where we bring in these, um, call them, um, capital partners.
5: And yeah, I'm, I'm going to add a little more because you asked a good question, Tal, because it's something we really thought about a lot internally here before coming to the conclusion that that's the sort of disposition strategy we should follow. And the fact is, uh, what is our expertise? Our, our expertise. Um, is in developing these properties, creating the value, rezoning the lands in the first place, um, and then even marketing uh, the properties. And, you know, it, it, and we create them out of existing shopping centers and existing properties we own. And by selling these 50% interests, and not to say that the market is cynical, but it is, um, we actually prove the value that we're creating uh, to the marketplace, we don't just talk about it, we prove it and, and and we think that's an important factor too, in addition to the balance sheet and uh, cash factors that I mentioned earlier okay
7: uh, and then I guess my next question would be for chi um, you know we're starting to see uh, ratings agencies you know take some actions around uh, you know different sectors in the TSX, uh, can you just give an update sort of like on, you know, maybe when you last spoke and how you're feeling about how they're going to continue to look at credit ratings, uh, you know, if that's changed at all?
4: Uh, sure, towel. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so, uh, I was first address SNP. As you probably know, I think it's back in May, SNP actually hosts a uh, general industry-wide uh, conference open to all the issuers, talking about their rating methodology. They particularly emphasize they're going to take a long-term view uh, and recognizing that the pandemic is certainly a relatively short-term phenomenon. So they are. They also not long ago, only a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, issued their report uh, reinstating the triple B rating on us. So uh, S&P is more clearly, dis, uh, you know. Uh, basically communicating their methodology. DBRS certainly uh, through our discussion with them, they also indicated they will take a a more longer term view, but there is more dialogue going on, and uh, we actually have some meetings scheduled with them coming up post the quarter, but in the past from our discussion, they also expressed uh, a view to basically look into a more longer term as well. We
5: did meet with uh, DBRS as well, and S&P after our second quarter results, You know, uh, uh, they tend to watch a little more carefully perhaps today, Yeah. Uh, but uh, we certainly see no
7: indication of any issues there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, uh, Ed, you had mentioned, you know, probably your number one question is around collection rates. I I would say that's probably number two for me. Number one question is always about, and I'm sure you can guess what it is, it's the distribution. Can you just talk about how the board thought about, um, you know, distribution versus asset sales? things like that going forward.
5: Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, it's a question that uh, we discussed at the board. uh, Well, we didn't used to discuss it as often, uh, (laughs) but, uh, you know, it's something that obviously has been discussed since, uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, April. (laughs) You know, when when this whole mess hit us and the whole country went into lockdown. Uh, You know, we advised the board at that time that uh, from a liquidity point of view, there was no issue. Uh, and uh, that's still the case Uh, there's certainly no issue from a liquidity point of view Um, you know is it uh, being valued by the market I don't know probably not Uh, but uh, that's not something we take too much into account at the end of the day the board uh, will have a continuing discussion with management over quite frankly is this the absolute best use of our funds uh, or are there other things we can do to create more value for uh, unit holders, like buying back stock? Now, keep in mind, uh, the distribution itself, um, there's a certain level that we're required to maintain to keep our tax situation being what it is. And uh, you know, I, you know, I guess the Americans who there were lots of uh, uh, REITs down there who just eliminated the distributions. That's never going to happen. Uh, I won't say in Canada, I guess in some cases, maybe some have no choice, but that's never gonna happen to any REIT that wants to stay a REIT uh, for tax purposes. So, um, you know, it's something we look at ongoing. Uh, today, there's, there's, you know, we're, we're not obviously announcing any changes in it. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, is gonna be like a, like a lot of things. Depends on how the world's looking uh, over the course of uh, uh, as the future unfolds which nobody knows how that what that will be
7: okay thanks very much guys that's great
1: our next question comes from the line of Jenny Ma with BMO Capital
0: Markets your line is open thanks good morning everyone and uh, congrats to Ed and Jonathan on your uh, respective career moves Thank um, you. I want to I wanted to ask a question about the composition of your rent collection bucket. Um, if you look at sort of the pie charts that you had from this quarter versus last quarter, there's obviously been a huge improvement. So I'm just trying to understand the moving parts um, in terms of the increase in cash rent collected. Would you say a lot of that came from the diff- the, the bigger deferral bucket from last quarter that caught up to this quarter, or the to be collected uh, pie piece? Um, and then also my second related question is for the provision piece, which is a little bit better, would you say the composition of the the leases that are in there are, are more or less more or less the same?
4: Oh Hi, Jenny, I'll address that question. Uh, so so my, my understanding of your question, you want to understand the what what's the underlying drivers between the cash collection uh, change improvement between q two and q three? It's really the fundamental uh, you know the tenant. Uh, The strength of the tenant, we collected, as you can see, this Q2, uh, when we first announced Q2 results, the Q2 collection is only 73%. So since then, of course, we collected more. Part of that collection is relating to the deferrals that used to be deferred in Q2, and now based on the agreed schedule, some, you know it's only a portion is due in Q3, so they got paid this quarter. So you will see the drop in deferral from the 7.7% in Q2 when we announced Q2 earnings to only 6.5%. So it's really a combination of collection of the deferral amount As well as digital collections for Q3, because more and more businesses are open, and of course uh, the strength of the tenant, our collection efforts. You can see we already, uh, you know, pure tenant cash collection is already about 91%. October again, that's without any sector funding, is 92%. So really, it's a combination of uh, how many businesses are open between Q2 and Q3, plus the fundamental strength of the tenants as well as our uh, rent collection efforts. Uh, The second part of your question, I believe, is on the provision. The Q2 provision, as you know, represents about 6.8% of the uh, total bill rent. Q3 represents about 5.3. And uh, the reason that there is close, you may ask, partly is because uh, there are two main factors. One is Q2 provision because we have, a because so many businesses were closed during Q2, we have agreed again back referring to the 7.7% deferral amount. So those, as you can imagine, when we did the Q2 provision, we provided some provisions even relating to deferrals, but based on all the collections in Q3, we're very comfortable with the Q2 provision. Q3, if you look at the cash collection, and the remainder, because cash collection, including sacra is already 93.4. And uh, excluding the provision, we only have about 1.3% to be collected, that's between deferral and, so essentially all the rest we provide is the provision. Um, and it's really a p- combination of, Q2 is relatively uh, lower, appears to be, it's only because of the, mainly because of the deferral amount. Hope that.
0: Okay. Great. That's great color. Uh, and I apologize if I missed this. If you discussed it early, earlier on the call, but as far as the residential inventory gains that were booked in the quarter, um, what were they related to, and uh, do you expect this to be uh, an item that pops up in the coming quarters?
4: Yep. Inventory gains. Yeah, that is the yeah. Plaza, uh, as we announced and disclosed. So that one, because we sell the assets, we already anticipate. Uh, like even several quarters ago, as we disclosed, that property already been moved to inventory because we expect to develop as a condominium project. So when we sell the assets, partial interest, of course, for accounting purpose, that uh, that portion relating to the inventory part is recognized as the inventory gain.
5: And the second part okay. of your question, the second part of your question is yes, uh, we uh, we're where uh, the decision has already been made. That a portion of a development or in case in fact all of the development is going to be a condominium rather than a rental uh, we classify it as inventory and as we bring in partners or dispose of uh, of those assets uh, there will be those kinds of gains uh, obviously varying in amounts and timing timing is a bit unpredictable because it depends on zoning on uh, on uh, the market it depends on a lot of things but I think you'll see that as a regular part of our FFO uh, over the next quite a few years.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, so just to be clear, Q3 was just Dufferin Plaza? That's correct. Okay. Uh, and, then, okay. Uh, and then moving to e Central, can you tell us what the Split in the NOI is between the between E Central and E Place. I, I presume the E Place piece is relatively small.
3: Yeah, we didn't disclose that uh, that split precisely, uh, but it's predominantly the vast majority of it is the residential component.
5: I think there's only 28,000 feet of uh, of uh, retail. Now it's very well leased retail. Most of it's occupied by uh, TD Bank, uh, and the rest by uh, mostly restaurants. Uh, QSR restaurants that are in fact open and um, uh, the exact amount it, it was tiny
0: okay uh, and then my final question is um, for the stabilized NOI at, uh, at eCentral ePlace um, you've got eight ninety two percent occupancy now what is the assumed occupancy in the stabilized number
3: closer
0: than 98% okay great thank you very much I'll turn it back
8: Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from a line of Howard Lung from Veritas Investment. Your line is open.
9: Hi. Um, thanks for taking my questions. I, I just want to uh, get a sense of the fair value changes in the quarter. Um, it looks like the, the adjustments were, were, I guess, in Q2, you could say they were all aligned in one direction, and now there, there's a bit of variance. Um, And apologies if I missed it um, in in the actual notes to the call, but just wanted to find out why um, mixed-use urban, um, there there was a write-down there and uh, and gains in the grocery anchor centers.
5: You know what, the the changes, while while they're looking that up, uh, I'll just tell you the changes were minimal uh, and uh, write-downs weren't really related. Uh, to market, sometimes in the mixed-use urban, we uh, we tend to ver- take a very conservative uh, method. And some of the mixed-use uh, write-downs, which are relatively small in the scheme of things, really were just where our cost to complete went up. Uh, you know, by a million dollars. Uh, you know, the uh, that that gets reflected in the in the value.
4: That's actually pretty much the case, as you know, two, three, one. You have about nine million fair value loss. Which is a combination of a variety of little things. So you see some up, some down. It's really fine tuning. Yeah. Uh,
5: there were no major movements in anything, really. Yeah.
9: No, I understood. So, so I guess they don't. These uh, these changes don't really relate to, um, I guess the, the the second wave lockdowns that we've seen. I guess it would be after the quarter too, right? That'll be in October. Right. So if there's any changes, that might not be until uh, Q4. Right.
4: Yeah, that's right. And also our Q3 rent collection, as you know, is significantly improved. So if anything, we actually, uh, in our Q2 pr- uh, estimate on the cash flow impact is actually a much more, um, you know, severe impact than what's Yeah.
5: We, right now, I think our IFRS values are uh, uh, on, on the conservative side and, yeah. uh, you know, we, we took a very conservative view at the end of Q2. Um, you know. Uh, by the time we actually sat down to start doing uh, the IFRS calculations for Q3, uh, the lockdowns were starting. So we said, you know what, let's just leave things largely alone and just make the, uh, the changes that uh, are required by reason of individual changing circumstances in the property.
3: Yeah, and we looked, when we did the Q2 um, valuations, We looked very much at use and location. We went through our properties one by one, as we always do, and we focused on enclosed malls and uh, ones that had large theaters or ones that uh, were located in some secondary Alberta markets, um, which is where there haven't been a lot of trades to evidence it, but our sense is that there would be some uh, diminished values there, and that's what was reflected largely in those Q2 write-downs, and we think that nothing changed between Q2 and Q3 in that regard.
9: Okay. No, that, that, that makes sense. Um, and then I guess my other question, I, I wanted to, t- to touch on the, uh, the question about distributions um, and Ed's comments there um, about how, um, I guess, you, you, you looked at the distribution and kind of said, you know, there is kind of a necessary amount of distribution that needs to be paid each year to maintain the tax status. Can you kind of quantify roughly how much that would be, I guess, as a percentage of the current distribution right now?
5: Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not an exact science because it depends on, a, on your go forward uh, uh, estimates of what's doing, but roughly it's about, uh, I'd say 60 odd percent uh, must be paid of our current distribution. Is that fair, Chi?
4: Uh, yes current year that will be a fair estimate yeah. just it's driven to quite extent beyond the, the income from operations it's also how many transactions we do and how much taxable gains in there right
5: right yeah. so it's, it's it's a it's a varying number there's no uh, bright line figure that I could give you but you know if you use sixty percent as a must distribute you'd be uh, you'd, you wouldn't
9: be far off either way okay no yeah that's that that that's pretty helpful. And I guess when she talks about these capital gains, it's that includes a partial dispositions like the E-place, E-central. That's, that's, that's part I of it as well. Okay, yeah, no, I, that I, makes I, sense. Right. right. Um, and I and I guess that kind of relates to my next question about oh. sales. Are you are you looking at you know kind of a consistent pipeline or expecting the consistent pipeline of partial dispositions? Um, and you know what I, I know it's hard to project a range, but if you think about next year, you know, fiscal 21,
3: what what range could that be in? Are we
9: talking about 100 million plus, 200 million plus?
3: Yeah, I mean, we don't have a specific number in mind. I think uh, I think there's going to be opportunity given the strength of our of our land holdings, as Ed had suggested earlier, uh, to do um, you know a number of other transactions where we bring in capital partners uh, for development properties while giving up very little uh, in the way of NOI and FFO. Um, But, you know, I I think it's reasonable to say that there would be a a couple hundred million dollars over the next uh, 12 months or so, but that's, again, at this point, an estimate.
5: I mean, we're still in the process of finalizing our business plan for next year. We'll be doing that, uh, quite frankly, we're most of the way there, but quite frankly, in about 10 days or uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, for presentation Mm -hmm. to our board at the beginning of December. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it contemplates a couple hundred million dollars in
9: dispositions right right yeah and that should free up some liquidity as well so that's, exactly. that's good to know um, no no thanks thanks for all the thanks for answering the questions that was very helpful and uh, congrats to uh, Ed and, and Jonathan I'll uh, pass the mic.
3: thanks so much
1: our next question comes from the line of Pammy Eber from RBC Capital Markets. your line is open
4: thanks
8: and uh, good morning Um, all all things considered it looks like you know the operating metrics were were looking a little better in Q3 even if they are still challenged Uh, and I realize this is tough to answer but how do you see you know your bad debts and abatements trending over the next uh, six to twelve months or so
5: yeah it is it is tough to answer because so much depends on what happens with uh, retailers uh, being open I mean what we clearly saw as we got through the second quarter And into the third Uh, when we retailers are open they pay rent Uh, I mean they don't just always do it voluntarily but uh, you know they're 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 doing business they may or may not be making a lot of money depending on the particular uh, you know uh, uh, situation uh, but they pay rent so if you can tell me who's going to be open and who's going to be closed uh, over the next uh, six to nine months I could give you a real good answer to that we're we're relatively optimistic Uh, I mean I I, you know but so much of it depends on what goes on medically I mean if you would have told me that France was going to go into a complete lockdown uh, this weekend after you know seemingly to have come out of the summer in very good shape I would have been uh, well I would have been very cynical about that Um, I think Canada overall is doing very well uh, compared to many other parts of the world, including obviously the United States. Um, but I also think that there's a real realization uh, amongst uh, the politicians that really matter when it comes to this, which is the provincial politicians by and large, that, uh, and you can see how they're they're trying to deal with things, that you can't just keep closing down the world, uh, that it is uh, it has more negative impacts and I'm not just talking about business, but on all kinds of things Then it does positive. So I'm relatively optimistic uh, that uh, what we saw in the second quarter won't be repeated and that until the world totally writes itself, uh, we'll be chugging along more or less where where, where we are uh, with our third quarter results, possibly diminished a little the longer that this, uh, this lasts. Uh, you know, as we, again, I, you know, I mentioned our business plan uh, and uh, uh, listen, we're going to build in plenty of provisions because uh, there are going to be ongoing bankruptcies. Uh, there are going to be ongoing requests for abatements as, you know, tenants just can't get going. And, and uh, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll deal with them in a, in a fashion that's best for and hold it, and, uh, uh unit holders, which is not always best for them in the short term
8: got it Uh, thanks That's a great color Um, just maybe thinking about you know maybe the overall leasing trends can you comment on what you're seeing with uh, again coming back to the potentially vulnerable category tenants? you know what sort of retention are are you seeing uh, are you doing you know percentage rent deals or or shorter terms uh, any color you can provide them
3: yeah sure I think some of the those potentially vulnerable tenants are actually the very tenants that are coming out of CCAA protection uh, and you know, largely apparel tenants. And you know, in, in certain cases, depending on the strength of the location, we're, doing, we're, we're actually retaining the exact terms that they had prior to going into CCAA. But yeah, in certain, in certain uh, situations, we are reverting to short-term um, uh, deals that have floors on them. So at least the tenants are covering a certain amount of rent, uh, but there will be some variability in the, in the rental rate. So there, there are percentage rent deals, but we are keeping those to very short term. I can't give you an exact percentage as to how much of our portfolio that represents, but it's fairly, it's fairly marginal in the scheme of things. We are trying to keep that variability to a minimum for our own selves for predictability purposes, uh, and we just think it's better business. Um, but there, there are certainly some of those that are being considered. Yeah, l- largely they're vul- potentially
5: vulnerable, and you know, I, I think we gotta emphasize potentially. Uh, you know if you include all the tenants that are mandated closed right now they're all in that bucket yeah. um, if you include virtually every apparel retailer that we have they're all in that bucket um, and uh, you know that, that 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 pretty well tells the tale so a lot's gonna have depend on what percentage of those we I'm I'm actually Quite pleased the way Jonathan and, and all our operating people and leasing people have gotten us through the last eight months. Uh, we have not entered into any long term um, negative deals. We haven't had to. Uh, we haven't given up any long term abatements. We, we haven't been required to. And where we gave any partial abatements, which, which we have done. Uh, and that that forms uh, you know a, a chunk of the provisions uh, we've always gotten something back for it uh, whether that's an extension of term future uh, growth in rents or uh, quite frankly control of a site that has great development potential so there's always uh, you know we're, we don't give away Rehacan's money for nothing <laughs>
8: on it uh, last one for me I think we're, we're getting into overtime here but uh, just you know nice to see those transactions with uh, with one and, and some of the others in the works you know when you think about the development program you know you, you clearly mentioned you know laser folks on the balance sheet so just you know where do you see leverage trending uh, over the next year um,
5: that's a good question we're focused on our leverage we want to keep our leverage really not much higher than it is now uh, that doesn't mean it may not, uh, and, and I'm focused more on the net debt to EBITDA number, which is, as as I'm sure you know, a much more real and uh, objective number than uh, net uh, than the percentage of uh, gross book value, because gross book value, you know, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but not all REITs gross book value are created equal, um, and probably something you already know, uh, but don't write about it. But the, uh, yeah. you know, so, so looking at, uh, at that net debt to EBITDA, um, we want to keep it uh, uh, you know, no higher than it is now, as best we can. It's one of the things driving the disposition program that we've got, uh, because we do have a development program where clearly we're creating huge value, um, and we don't want to stop it, uh, except to in you know, certain cases, we're certainly going to slow it down. But even where we're slowing it down, it's with that leverage uh, figure in mind. And over the course of the next year or two, uh, you know, uh, again, going back to my opening remarks, assuming the world in that year or two does go back to right side up instead of upside down, uh, we're, we're sticking to the targets that we currently publish, where we want to have our, our net debt to EBITDA down in that eight or less uh, area. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, Jonathan will get us there.
8: Got it. Thank you very much. And uh, Jonathan, congrats again. And Ed, congrats to you as well as you enter uh, the next chapter. Although I think we've got still a few more months to go. Thanks very Thanks, much. Thanks, Bobby. Okay, operator.
5: If there's no other questions, oh, we
1: have one more question.
5: Okay, this will be the last one then.
1: Okay. Our final question comes to the line of Dean Wilkinson from CIBC. Your line is open.
10: Thanks. Bein, last, well, and, last, last, last and least, congratulations to both of you, Ed. It felt like you were just getting started, so I, I'm, you know. I, yeah, I, no, sometimes I feel
5: that way, and, uh, but uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to just as, as chair of the board, just uh, being supportive of Jonathan as he takes, it, uh, takes this ship uh, into all kinds of interesting directions.
10: Uh, it's, it's in good hands. It just reminded me that when I first met you that you were younger than I am now, so that makes me feel old.
5: Um, <laughs> I,
10: don't know to I, I just that. want. To <laughs> yeah, well, we're about the same too. So, uh, yeah, um, I just wanted to quickly circle back on that issue of 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 debt. And um, you've seen a cycle or two through, through your career, and, and you know, you certainly look at you know things. Like three point four cap rate seems really low, but you know, that's a three hundred basis point spread over ten year bond yields, effectively. So, I you know, I don't know that it is low. The last time Real Can units were yielding ten percent, it probably cost you eight percent plus to borrow. In a world where you can borrow with a two in front of it, and, and if we were to stay like this for, 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 for a little bit longer, is the optimal capital structure to perhaps have more leverage or how, how do you think about that if if the market doesn't sort of you know? get us back on the right side of things.
5: You know what, Dean, I I can tell you, first of all, we think about it a lot, uh, because uh, certainly with some of the CMAC product uh, that uh, is coming on stream for us, uh, the number actually starts with a one uh, rather than a two. You know, 1.75 for 10 years uh, is is the kind of numbers that are being thrown at us. So, um, you know, that's why I use the phrase a year or two, uh, to get back to our targets, um, you know, might we, over the course of months and quarters, rather than years, uh, let it move up a little if we find that there's a really good use uh, for those funds? Uh, I think the answer to that is we're going to talk about it internally, um, you know, all within the context of, you know, going back through all the crises and and uh, uh, issues and, and meltdowns that I've lived through uh, and survived, um, the strength of your balance sheet uh, is what differentiates you from others. Um, you know the, our unit values, I'm not sure that the, right now the the uh, market is focusing on that, uh, but as we come through this pandemic and lenders, which I think is already starting to happen, Become a little more picky uh, as to who they're prepared to fund. Uh, having that very strong balance sheet is uh, critical to the long-term uh, prosperity of an entity like REACAN. And And uh, so, yeah, we might let it move up, uh, you know, a, a, a few ticks on the net debt to EBITDA or the, the gross uh, book value percentage uh, in the short term, uh, just to take advantage of you know, what are historically low interest rates, and yeah, uh, borrowing money at 2% or less is rocket fuel uh, uh, for any company, but ultimately there's a price to pay for it. And, you know, uh, uh, generally, notwithstanding uh, what others may think, we're pretty conservative when it comes to debt. Great.
10: Uh, That that answers it fully. Um, Again, thanks, congrats, and and I'm sure we're going to see you for a long time still anyway.
5: Dean, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Well, you may see me, but you won't hear me on these uh,
2: calls.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that's the end of it. Um, uh, Operator, thank you very much, and everybody that dialed in, thank you very much. This will be the end of RECAN's Q3, and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you for the last time Uh, in February. Everybody keep well, stay safe, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes today's program. You may all disconnect. Everyone have a great day.